Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and in love. Amen. So before we look at our Old Testament lesson from Genesis 18, let's get something out of the way. I think we can all agree on something up front. I can guarantee that if I gave you some truth serum right now, and I asked you about the consistency of your prayer life, you would say that it's not great. Not great, Bob. That's what you would say. You find it difficult to pray as you should. You do. It's okay to admit. It's true of me and it's true of you. We find it difficult to pray. It's a downright struggle to pray. And when we do find regular discipline to do so, our thoughts often drift to other things, don't they? We find ourselves distracted. Perhaps you're discouraged by the impracticality of it all. You'd rather be getting your hands dirty with something. You think that this doesn't do anything. This doesn't work. You know, we're such practical people. What does spending time in prayer, going before the God of the universe, going to do for me? Or maybe you'd think that God isn't all that concerned about your affairs. He's got a lot on his mind. He's got a lot on his plate. What does he want to do with little old me? right? You know that God graciously promises to hear your prayer because you are his beloved child. You know that, but it's one thing to believe that and it's quite another to actually live from that promise, isn't it? Paul tells us in the scripture to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. We know that the the Christian life is shaped by continuous prayer. And in our time, we have more resources than ever. More resources for personal devotion than ever. We have the Psalter, the entire book of Psalms. We have the historic prayers of the Christian church. We've got the hymnal. We've got the small catechism. We've got the Lord's Prayer from our gospel reading today. We've got devotional resources that we can buy whenever we want. We've got them aplenty, and yet we struggle. If you've lived the Christian life for any significant amount of time, you have these seasons of inspiration, don't you? You have these mountaintop experiences, kind of like the start of the new year when, whenever we realize that we all start to, uh, we, we ought to start working out. You know, January rolls around and we all sign up for our gym memberships. I know this because I used to work for the YMCA and we, we, would, we would make our bottom line for the entire year in the month of January, right? And then February comes around and you're looking around going, where is everybody? This is how it is with our prayer life. How long does this last? It doesn't last all that long, does it? You went out and you bought all the devotional tools one time. Maybe it was last year. You you bought all the devotional tools. You got out a candle. You got out some incense. You lit those babies up at the dinner table. You said, I'm going to really dig in now. I'm going to get down on my knees. I'm going to pray to the Lord. And then your smartphone rang and you went to grab it and you knocked the candle up. Uh, off the table, and it lit the tablecloth on fire, and then your prayer life went up in flames with it. I only kid, but I tell you why you find it so difficult to pray. Your sinful flesh and the devil actively war against you. All of your efforts, they war against them. And it's why the Apostle Paul calls prayer labor in several parts of the Scriptures. Labor. Labor in prayer. It's work to go before God in prayer. It's work. 
but it is a good work. It's a good work, and our Lord commands us to do it, not begrudgingly, but because we are His children. This is why He commands us to do it. So in addition to the spiritual struggle that we face in prayer, I would offer another practical reason why we fail to pray. We make it complicated, and we do not know what to pray for. In Genesis 18, Abraham prays to the Lord. And they have this, uh, this really, it, it's brief in the text, but it's actually a pretty elongated uh, exchange. You know, a lot of time actually passed whenever they were talking. Um, and it really sheds some light on this topic of prayer for us. And my hope is that we learn more about this account. We learn more about what Abraham said to the Lord. And as we do, we will be more inspired to take up this crucial task of prayer, this task that our Lord calls us to. And more importantly, I would love for you to leave this place. I, I would love for you to leave this place completely inspired and ready to hit for your, for your knees to hit the carpet uh, every single morning. I would love that. But here's what I want more importantly. More importantly, I want you to rest in the promises of Jesus who is reflected in Abraham's prayer. That's what I want for you. So what's going on in Genesis 18? Last week, we heard uh, in our Old Testament lesson, the beginning of Genesis 18, um, God, along with two angels, came to Abraham and came to Sarah, bringing them the promise of a son, even though Sarah was advanced in years and even though she was barren. And it was going to be through this son that God was going to continue his messianic line that would eventually lead to Jesus. That's why it's good news. Abraham and Sarah were recipients of the promise. God came to them. He showed up and he brought them the gospel promise. And Abraham enjoyed this privileged status before God, one who was in covenant with him. God made a covenant with Abraham that through him the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's the promise of the gospel, right? Because Jesus comes from the line of Abraham. And because of that unique relationship that God has with Abraham, God found that it was going to be appropriate to clue Abraham in on what he was about to do. Some really nasty business. He was going to rain down destruction upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin stank to high heaven and God was left with no choice but to wipe them out. Can God do that, by the way? He can. That's what it means to be God. He can and He had brought judgment before on the earth. He did that through the, through the flood. He wiped out the entire earth except for Noah and his family. And if it bothers you that God would judge so harshly, you have yet to consider the gravity of sin. This is how serious sin is. But we also know from Scripture that God is gracious and that He delights in showing mercy, doesn't He? It's one of his favorite things to do. And Abraham knew that. Because he knew the promise of God's steadfast love, which was just spoken to him, him and his wife. He stood there with God while the other two angels went on ahead. So picture this. Abraham speaking to the angel of the Lord, who is somehow also the Lord himself. Abraham speaking to the angel of the Lord, who is somehow the Lord himself. Who is Abraham talking to, you theologians? 
pre-incarnate Jesus. Think about that. Anytime you see that in the Old Testament where there's the angel of the Lord, the messenger uh, who shows up to speak to someone, but he is also identified as the Lord, that is Jesus before he becomes incarnate. There was a, a few years ago, there was a pretty decent uh, TV series called The Bible. Um, I don't know if anybody watched I think it's like a five-episode miniseries. It did a pretty good job of depicting this. Uh, there's Sodom off in the distance, and Abraham is standing there with Jesus, and he's talking and having this conversation. That's a pretty good way to picture this happening. He is standing there, literally talking to Jesus. Okay? So as an heir to the promise, here is how Abraham sees fit to pray. He intercedes for those who are in God's crosshairs. He intercedes for them. Six times he petitions the Lord that God does not bring down certain destruction for the sake of the righteous people that might be living there. Now there's a little bit of insider baseball going on here. If you're familiar with the story, you know that Abraham's primarily concerned about Sodom because his nephew Lot happens to live there, right? He is concerned about his nephew. But so what? So what? Even if that is his motivation to seeking God in prayer, he still prays for the deliverance of the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He intercedes for them. Six times. He pleads with God six times and he asks that God might spare Sodom for the sake of potentially 50 righteous people there. And God said that he would. If there's 50 people, if you can show them to me, Abraham, I will not do this thing. Abraham pushed it five more times, didn't he? He said, okay, all right. Well, there's not 50, but okay, what about 45? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? He eventually gets all the way down to 10. If there's just 10 righteous people in that city, would God spare it? And the Lord said that he would for the sake of the righteous. Repeatedly, Abraham appealed to God based on who he had revealed himself to be gracious and merciful. Lord, you are gracious and merciful. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? That's what he said in verse 25. And this is the persistent prayer that the Lord Jesus commends to us in our gospel lesson today. According to Jesus in the gospel lesson, you have a friend in your life that if you needed that friend, in a pinch, you could go to that friend in the middle of the night, knock on their door, and ask for bread. And they might be really, really bothered by that. They might say, why are you waking me up? My kids are in bed. But if you knock again and you ask again, that friend might roll their eyes at you. But what they're going to do eventually is they're going to go to the kitchen and grab the bread and say, here you go. Please leave me alone. Because of your persistence. How much more will, you, will your heavenly Father give you what you need when you persist in prayer? How much more? And when we look at Abraham's prayer, the repeated requests show us what it means to have that privileged status before God. Here's what Martin Luther said of this prayer, of Abraham's prayer. He said, consider this example whenever you pray and learn that persistence is needed in praying. It does not offend God. It pleases him. It pleases him. Yes, God is pleased when we speak to Him as much as it pleases you and I when our children speak to us and ask us for what they need. 
It's pleasing. And here Abraham goes to God based on his mercy and asks that God act according to how he revealed himself in the gospel, that word of promise that God had already spoken to Abraham and to Sarah. And how does God eventually answer Abraham's prayer? He does rain down destruction. He does what is just. He rains down destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah, but he spares Lot and his two children. God shows us in this story, in this account, that he knows exactly how to be both just and merciful at the same time. Only God can do that. He will always do what's right, even when we can't quite make sense of it. So what are we to make of Abraham's intercessory prayer? In this time and in this place, people of fortress, how are we to understand Abraham's prayer in our lives? What does this mean for us? How does it connect to our lives? Well, I mentioned before how difficult it is for us to pray, and we all agreed on that, didn't we? We agreed that it's work, that it's labor, that it's often a struggle to do this. We don't know what to say. We lack motivation. We often get distracted. So what can we take from this? What was it that motivated Abraham to pray? What was it? First, I would offer, I would offer that Abraham is driven to pray because of the imminence of God's judgment. He knows about God's judgment, which is about to come for the cities, and he goes, holy smokes, I better pray. That's his knee-jerk reaction, right? He interceded for those in Sodom for the sake of the righteous. Sodom and Gomorrah were extremely decadent. They were a sexually and politically immoral society, and they deserved everything that was coming to them. There was no one righteous there, after all as Abraham would find out in chapter 19. And this is still true today. Hmm? I don't think I have to spend much time convincing you that evil is very real. Do I need to make the case for that? No, you already know that. You knew that whenever you walked in through the doors this morning. And not only do we see the evidence in the behavior of those around us, but we feel its very presence in our own lives, don't we? You know the darkness of your own heart. You know some of the sinful and evil, wicked thoughts that you have on a daily basis? You know that evil is a very real thing. The disturbing truth, my friends, is that God's judgment is coming. It is coming. Our city, our nation, our world, they are all shades of Sodom and Gomorrah that will be burned up on the last day. I know I sound like a fire and brimstone end times preacher right now, but that's just what Scripture says. God's judgment is coming. The scriptures tell us that there is no one righteous save one. There is one who is righteous. Jesus Christ alone is righteous. And it's for the sake of him, the righteous one, that God spares us. God spares us by putting the punishment upon Jesus on his cross. And all who believe in him share in that gift of eternal life. All who believe in Jesus are spared from the judgment that we deserve. Through the cross, God manages to be both just and merciful at the same time. And it's through his death and his resurrection that you and I are pronounced righteous before God, that we are forgiven for Jesus' sake. Therefore, we plead with God. We plead with God that others would be made righteous, not just us, but that others would as well. Now, what else compelled Abraham to pray? All right, So it wasn't just the bad news that compelled Abraham to pray. 
Because it's bad enough, God's bringing his judgment. That's the bad news. It was the good news, it was his privileged status with God that gave him the boldness to come to him in the first place. Even as he demonstrated his humility in the presence of God, you know, you heard his language of saying, Lord, I'm just, I'm just dust and ashes. I'm nothing. But let me ask you something. <laughs> That's how he approached God. Think back to last Sunday. We talked about Psalm 27. Remember both the, the confident and the humble faith that inform your prayer life? Remember that kind of dynamic? You got that boldness, but you also have that humility to come before the Lord. Well, consider this. You are similar. You're not identical to Abraham, but you are similar in this way. You enjoy a privileged status before God because you are his baptized child. You've been brought to faith in Jesus through the word of promise. That same word of promise that he spoke to Abraham and Sarah that word of promise which has come to fruition in Jesus Christ has been spoken to you. And you've been brought to faith in that promise. And as the Holy Spirit has been given to you, it is through him that you may come to God with your earnest prayers. How can you be sure that God has heard you? How do you know? You have his promise. And God will never lie to you. We pray our Father because we are truly His children. And at the same time, we appeal to His mercy. It's, it's like whenever my daughter comes to me and she says, Daddy, it's the same thing. 99 times out of 100, I'm not going to say, get out of here. There's always the 100th day, right? Where I'm just having a bad day. But that's because I'm wicked. How will our Heavenly Father ever turn us away when we say, our Father. She has that right and that privilege to ask me anything because of that unique relationship that we share. And as Luther instructs us in the small catechism, especially whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, we should be certain, we should be certain that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven and we are heard by Him. For He Himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. How's that for motivation? Regular Joes like you and I can come before the God of the universe, the creator of all things seen and unseen. And his reply to us is, go ahead, I'm listening. Ask me anything. So for the times that you have failed to pray as you ought, I know we all struggle with this, for the times that you have failed, your sins are forgiven on account of the righteous one. Jesus Christ. The one who remains your high priest, the one who is right now your intercessor, he is at the right hand of God, and you know what he's doing for you at this very moment right now? Praying for you. And the Father cannot deny the requests of the Son. That's what he's doing at this very second. And it's because of him that your prayers are heard and that you have free and full access to make your needs from the smallest to the largest known to your God. And even as we pray for our own needs, may we also pray that others might be spared the judgment of God on account of the righteous one and faith in Him. May we continually pray. May we be persistent in that prayer for our co-workers, our neighbors, our family members 
that they too would trust in Jesus and receive forgiveness. God has told us that he will hear such prayers. So why wouldn't we take him up on that? The Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen.